Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Seven seven three eight one three eight one one eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. Well, is my want from time to time. I I think we're going to take a little turn here and get into something that I also think will be somewhat intriguing, if not compelling. If you stick with me for the first hour, I would like to uh, get into a little philosophy. I'd like to get a little deep with you. There'll be plenty of time for the other stuff. Cinema and so forth. It's not that complicated. I don't know how people talk about it for an hour or two hours, but I don't. So let us begin with an idea. Ludwig von Mises. Who's Ludwig von Mises? He's from what they call the, the Austrian School of Economics. What's that? It's essentially libertarianism. He was a genius. Frederick Hayek and he were close friends. Milton Friedman and the other two were very good friends, and so forth. And they had an enormous influence on Walter Williams and Tom Sowell and Bill Buckley, among others. And uh, one of the things he wrote in his book, Marxism Unmasked from Delusion to Destruction, in 2006 he said the philosophy of today is that of Karl Marx he is the most powerful personality of our age Karl Marx and the idea of Karl Marx ideas which he did not invent develop or improve but which he combined into a system are widely accepted today even by many who emphatically declare that they are anti-communist and anti-Marxist even by many who emphatically declare that they are anti-communist and anti-Marxist. 
To considerable extent, without knowing it, many people are philosophical Marxists, although they use different names for their philosophical ideas. Now, what's he talking about there? He's talking about people who embrace various degrees of classism, of centralism, of redistribution, and ultimately, in the end, are not pure Marxists, but people who embrace the fundamental ideas of Marxism. Now, not to be provocative, but this is one of my great problems with populism. Because populism abandons. Abandons. Conservatism. And condemns it. And dismisses it. And embraces aspects of the far left. And the idea of the the expert administrators. And the masterminds. Reagan in 1977 at CPAC, I think, addressed this in a very smart way. And my my stepson David reminded me of this. The principles of conservatism are sound because they are based on what men and women have discovered through experience. And not just one generation or a dozen, but in all the combined experience of mankind. When we conservatives say that we know something about political affairs and that we know what we know can be stated as principles, we're saying that the principles we hold dear are those that have been found through experience be ultimately beneficial for individuals, for families, for communities, and for nations, found through the often bitter testing of pain or sacrifice and sorrow. And so in many ways, some of the younger, quote-unquote, conservatives of our day, they're looking for new, new models They're looking for new philosophies, new ideologies. They don't want to quite abandon conservatism completely. And in virtually every case, they borrow from, to one degree or another, the idea of centralization. And that government should, in fact, be a referee, not now and then, but most of the time. And they'll use phrases like middle class. Marx used that phrase, he invented that phrase. And yet, as Mises has said, Marx never defined class, not once. You're going to define the middle class, what is it exactly? And then the modern day American Marxists, in whatever form they want to take, they, they turn to government to define it. Usually it's the Internal Revenue Code or something of that, that sort. Because it takes away from the notion of individualism or even family when you talk about classes and groups. And classes and groups raises the specter 
of discrimination for or against certain individuals based on, among other things, their income, their age, their race, their faith, you name it. Marx would be proud. The founders would be appalled. There is a new legal theory. It's not a widely accepted legal theory that's uh, now starting to spread among the Federalist Society and some of the more conservative lawyers and legal groups out there. And of all places, you can learn about it at Politico, to some extent, in a piece written by Ian Ward. And this goes back, really, it's uh, December 9th. Critics call it theocratic and authoritarian. Young conservatives call it an exciting new legal theory. What are they talking about? Common good conservatism is what they self-identify. This idea is common good conservatism to replace originalism. Originalism, broadly understood, is the idea... And it was pressed by Attorney General Meese, and he and Justice Brennan went at it for several years. That the way to interpret the Constitution is to look at the text, and if the text isn't clear, to try and understand the wording, the verbiage, as it was understood when the Constitution was written and adopted and ratified. To try and stick as closely to that as possible and leave it to the political branches, federal, state, and local, to fill in the gaps on the political side. And leave it to the individuals to fill in the gaps in their own life. And so this gentleman at Politico, contributing writer, talks about this meeting of all places, Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, with our dear friend, Georgetown University law professor Randy Barrett and others. Now, I don't know if he endorses this or not. I doubt it, but nonetheless, he decided to have as part of this seminar a discussion about common good constitutionalism. Now, let's step back a second. When you hear phrases like common good, or the public good or the public interest what does that spark in your mind what does that trigger an incredibly ambiguous indeed nebulous phraseology that the left in their various iterations that the left use to drive a hole through the constitution or limited government kind of language that was used by Rousseau or Hegel or even Marx. And now you understand what Mises was talking about. So what is this thing? He writes, at the center of this debate was Harvard Law Professor Adrian Vermeule, whose latest book served as the ostensible subject of the symposium in conservative legal circles Professor Vignol has become the most prominent proponent of common good constitutionalism, a controversial new theory that challenges many of the fundamental premises and principles of the conservative legal movement. 
The cornerstone of his theory is the claim that, quote, the central aim of the constitutional order is to promote good rule, not to protect liberty as an end in itself. Or in layman's terms, that the Constitution empowers the government to pursue conservative political ends, even when those ends conflict with individual rights as most Americans understand them. In practice, Vermeule's theory lends support to an idiosyncratic but far-reaching set of, and this is the writer, not me, of far-right objectives. Outright bans on abortion and same-sex marriage, sweeping limits on freedom of expression, and expanded authorities for the government to do everything from protecting the natural environment to prohibiting the sale of of porn. But if the symposium's nominal subject was Vermeule's new book, which shares the name of his theory, its real concerns were much broader. Since it was published in February this year, Common Good Constitutionalism has become a flashpoint in a broader intra-conservative debate about the future of the conservative legal movement. This debate is unfolding in the shadow of the Supreme Court's landmark decision in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health in that abortion case. But its scope extends far beyond constitutional debates over abortion. This conflict hinges on a more fundamental philosophical question. Does originalism, the theory of constitutional interpretation that conservatives have championed for the past 40 years, provide the conservative movement with the sort of intellectual ammunition that it needs to tear down half a century of liberal jurisprudence and rebuild American law on more conservative foundations? Or is it time? Now that conservatives have secured a decisive majority on the Supreme Court for the right to embrace a more aggressive and ideological assertive legal theory. Now, I don't know Professor Vermeule, but I think there's a lot of complication and complexity here that I will have to read his book, but I'm reading the article. And let me start this way. Judicial activism is judicial activism. How do you draw lines around it? How do you criticize the left? How do you challenge the left who are dressed up, many of them, as federal judges, state judges, Supreme Court justices? for judicial activism to advance their, I'll say it, their Marxist agenda, their agenda of centralized government, activist government. When in fact your position is essentially the same, but for a different aim and a different end. You may try and wrap yourself in the Constitution, but you've abandoned originalism. So what is your theory? Well, your theory is for good rule. Good rule? Well, what does that mean? What does the common good mean? It's this kind of abuse of the constitutional order that leads to tyranny. I don't care who's doing it. Because it It creates no basic principles. You're not moored. You're not moored on principles. 
Now, it's one thing for two justices to approach the Constitution the same way in terms of interpretation and come up with different results. That's perfectly fine. Thomas and Scalia did that from time to time. Rehnquist, Thomas, Rehnquist, Scalia, they did it from time to time. That's great. But that's not what we're talking about here. So stick with me. I know it's a little complicated, but we can get through this. It's very important. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, our great nation was founded on the principle of all men are created equal. But far too many of our nation's colleges and universities, including those in the so-called Ivy League, continue to insist on using race as a factor for admissions. And the Supreme Court is deciding a case on this subject right now. But there's a unique American college that doesn't discriminate based on race. It never has, and it never will. And it's my favorite college, Hillsdale College. Hillsdale was founded in 1844 to educate, quote, all persons, irrespective of nationality, color, or sex, unquote. It continues that policy today, admitting students on the strength of their character, ability, and intentions, not their heritage or background. My friend Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College, recently published an article explaining Hillsdale's colorblind policies and its related refusal of government funding, even indirectly in the form of federal student aid. Read it for yourself at levinforhillsdale.com. And after you read it, you may even want to support Hillsdale with a year-end gift. So please go read Dr. Arn's article today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. On the one side of the debate are defenders of the conservative legal status quo, who made up the majority of the speakers at the symposium. They continue to champion the time-honored legal principles of the right, the sanctity of individual rights, the importance of judicial restraint, and the wisdom of limited government. Practically all of them continue to identify as originalists. On the other side of the debate are those who, like Vermeule, want to push the conservative legal movement into a more radical direction. Partisans of this camp hail from different sectors of the American right, and they go by different names. Some eschew the label of conservative for the edgier post-liberal or integralist, two terms that are variously applied to Vermeule. But they have cohered around a shared desire for a more muscular judiciary, one that sheds the guise of judicial neutrality in favor of the more assertive, right-leaning posture. Now that's interesting. They're critics of originalism. I've done a lot of studying of Woodrow Wilson and his ilk over a hundred years ago and more. And they believed in a very activist judiciary too. Very activist. And they believe that's where the revolution would come from. So let's continue to dig into this, if you will. Because that's, this debate can spread. It's going on. I'll be back. Folks, our great nation was founded on the principle of all men are created equal. But far too many of our nation's colleges and universities, including those in the so-called Ivy League, continue to insist on using race as a factor for admissions. And the Supreme Court is deciding a case on this subject right now. But there's a unique American college that doesn't discriminate based on race. It never has, and it never will. And it's my favorite college, Hillsdale College. Hillsdale was founded in 1844 to educate, quote, all persons, irrespective of nationality, color, or sex, unquote. It continues that policy today, admitting students on the strength of their character, ability, and intentions, not their heritage or background. 
My friend Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College, recently published an article explaining Hillsdale's colorblind policies and its related refusal of government funding, even indirectly in the form of federal student aid. Read it for yourself at levinforhillsdale.com. And after you read it, you may even want to support Hillsdale with a year-end gift. So please go read Dr. Arn's article today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. The Mark Lovin Show, where we create the talking points. Call in now, 877-381-3811. You know, there's nothing cutting edge or profound about this idea that Professor Vermeule is promoting. It's really just activism. Activism from a different political perspective. Vermeule coined the term common good constitutionalism to describe his alternative theory, and he was not coy about what it would entail, unlike originalists and legal liberals. Common good constitutionalists would not suffer from a horror of political domination and hierarchy, he writes, and they would display a candid willingness to legislate morality. In sharp contrast to libertarian conservatives, common good constitutionalists would favor, quote, a a powerful presidency ruling over a powerful bureaucracy. On the constitutional front, the court's jurisprudence on free speech, abortion, sexual liberties, and related matters were proved vulnerable to new challenges. The country freshly locked down by the pandemic, his article went viral, or at least as viral as 2,500-word essay on academic jurisprudence can go. The right conservatives objected to his claim that originalism was nothing more than an instrument for advancing their political agenda. And on the left, liberals seized on his critique as proof of a political agenda they long claimed that was behind originalism. Vermeule's vision of a more muscular conservative jurisprudence, it's not a conservative jurisprudence. It's an activist jurisprudence from a political conservative. It did strike a chord with certain sectors of the right. In the American Mind, an online journal published by the Claremont Institute, where I went one summer, fantastic place, the conservative legal scholar and prominent anti-abortion activist Hadley Arks applauded Vermeule for having the gall to say that there were principles in existence before the text of the Constitution was drafted. I don't know what that means. Of course, there were principles in existence before the Constitution was drafted. A few months later, an anonymous conservative lawyer launched a blog called, I'm not going to give it out, to serve as a platform for debates over the theory. And it goes on. And it goes on. Now, here we have at least in some instances, a court that is originalist. At least three originalists on the court. It took decades to get to this point. And part of the problem we have in uh, academia, and part of the problem we have, and not exclusively, but among young conservatives, and some of them are very good, some of them are just not, some of them are flailing around, is they want to come up with quote-unquote new ideas. Given the tyranny that we we face. But they often abandon, if not by word, by practice, the old ideas. 
And the old ideas are not political ideas. The old ideas are the principles. Based on hundreds, if not thousands of years of human experience. I have a book here. I've got literally dozens and dozens of books here, given the project I'm working on. The Second Bill of Rights. Written by Cass Sunstein, a leftist who worked for Obama. His wife worked for Obama, and now she works for Biden. The Second Bill of Rights. This was the title for socialism that FDR came up with. Here's another one. The New Freedom. This is the title for early American Marxism, 1913, that Woodrow Wilson came up with. Or how about Compassionate Conservatism? Remember that one? That's the one the Bushies came up with. Hyphenated conservatism. The only hyphen that I support on conservatism is constitutional conservatism. So it's this is a very treacherous idea. It is not based on constitutionalism at all. It's the idea that you take the Constitution and try and twist it and spin it in a way that gets you the ends that you want. Now, if you're serious about what I will coin a word tonight, reconstitutionalizing our country, our society, then you embrace a movement that is constitutionally authorized, like like Convention of States. Which is why I get very frustrated with Republicans and conservatives who, I don't know about that. Really? And they're coming up with new models. I don't need new models. It's right in front of us. It's right in front of us. And I don't remember this professor getting involved in the Convention of States. If he did, he's been very quiet about it. And one of the liberty amendments that I proposed, and it appears to be taking off in Israel right now, is that in our form of government, if three-fifths of the Congress, both houses, within 24 months of a decision, vote to hold a decision of the Supreme Court null and void, not rewrite it, not replace it, null and void, then that decision is null and void. But even better, if three-fifths of the state legislatures, not the states, the state legislatures, determine that a Supreme Court decision should be held null and void, they vote, and if that's the case, it's null and void. Why? Because I'm of the belief, not in mobocracy, that is, pure democracy, not in centrality, whatever it be, too powerful of a president or a monarch or what have you. I believe in embracing and using representative government. But if a simple majority can overturn a Supreme Court decision, that's less representative majority than it is a sort of representative mobocracy. So I agree with the framers. And they created a Senate, they created a House, and the only body that's directly elected is the House of Representatives. But that said, it's not written in the Constitution that the Supreme Court has the final word on anything. Remember, we talked about this. Judicial review is an implied power. It's a very powerful implied power. 
But if the Supreme Court goes one way because of the luck of the appointees by one party or the other, and the nation is in a completely different direction, that is destructive. And the body politic as a whole should have the final say. Not by electing judges and justices. Not by plebiscites, a referenda, but through the representative system. That's my view. Professor Vermeule, as far as I know, has not commented on or participated in this. Instead, he's basically saying, you know what his philosophy comes down to, Mr. Producer, in America? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. They have activists, so now we'll have activists. But our activists are better. Until, of course, you disagree with them, and then you have to ask yourselves, well, if they're just going to go on the court, take the Constitution, and rather than try and imply the original intent, but are going to, in clever legalese, push for an agenda, and then they wind up with an agenda you may not support, then the whole country is going to oppose the Supreme Court. I don't think this is wise. And the reason why they don't want to be called conservatives anymore is because it's not conservative. I suspect they don't want to be called constitutionalists either. Because it's not constitutionalist, uh, constitutionalism. Now I have to move on or I would spend more time on this. I just enjoy it. I hope you folks do too. But as it turns out today, and much to my surprise, we've got some tweeting going on over there by Matt Talib, uh, Taibbi. Let me pull it up. So a new string of tweets here, right, Mr. Producer? And before the break, let me, let me get into some of this. Thread, the Twitter files, the removal of Donald Trump, part one, October 2020 to January 6th. The world knows much of the story of what happened, writes Taibbi, between riots at the Capitol on January 6th and the removal of Donald Trump from Twitter on January 8th. We will show you what hasn't been revealed, the erosion of standards within the company in months before January 6th. Decisions by high-ranking executives to violate their own policies and more against the backdrop of ongoing documented interaction with federal agencies. This first installment covers the period before the election, before the election, through January 6th. Tomorrow, Dr. Schellenberger will detail the chaos inside Twitter on January 7th. On Sunday, Barry Weiss will reveal the secret internal communications from the key date of January 8th. Whatever your opinion on the decision to remove Trump that day, the internal communications at Twitter between January 6th and January 8th have clear historical import. Even Twitter's employees understood in the moment it was a landmark moment in the annals of speech. As soon as they finished banning Trump, Twitter executives started processing new power. They prepared to ban future presidents and White House, perhaps even Biden. The new administration, says one executive, will not be suspended by Twitter unless absolutely necessary. Twitter executives removed Trump in part 
over what one executive called the context surrounding, that is, actions by Trump and supporters over the course of the election, and I'm quoting, and frankly, the last four-plus years. In other words, they removed him because he's Trump, not simply because of January 6th. In the end, they looked at a broad picture, but that approach can cut both ways, writes Taibbi. The bulk of the internal debate leading to Trump's ban took place in those three January days. But the intellectual framework was laid in the months preceding the Capitol riots. Before January 6th, Twitter was a unique mix of automated, rules-based enforcement and more subjective moderation by senior executives. This is on Twitter now. As reported, the firm had a vast array of tools for manipulating visibility, most of which were thrown at Trump and others pre-January 6th. As the election approached, senior executives, perhaps under pressure from federal agencies, with whom they met more as time progressed, with whom they met more as time progressed, federal agencies, increasingly struggled with rules and began to speak of VIOS as pretext to do what they'd likely have done anyway. After January 6th internal slack show, Twitter executives getting a kick, a kick out of intensified relationships with federal agencies. Here's trust and safety head Yal Roth, remember him, lamenting a lack of generic enough calendar descriptions to concealing his very interesting meeting partners. They were concerned that they didn't have enough cover, demonstrating that they were working with the federal government. These initial reports are based on searches for documents linked to prominent executives whose names are already public. They include Roth, former trust and policy chief Vijaya Agade, and recently Plank Walk Deputy General Counsel, former FBI General Counsel Jim Baker. One particular Slack channel offers a unique window into the evolving thinking of top officials in late 2020 and early 2021. On October 8, 2020, executives opened a channel called U.S. 2020 Enforcement. Through January 6, this would be home for discussions about election-related removals, especially ones that involved, quote, high-profile, unquote, accounts, often called VITs, or very important tweeters. There was at least some tension between safety operations, a larger department, whose staffers use a more rules-based process for addressing issues like porn, scams, and threats. And a smaller, more powerful cadre of senior policy execs like Roth and Gade. That's where we are right now. And I'll pick it up uh, soon when we return. Lots going on on this Friday. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, our great nation was founded on the principle of all men are created equal. But far too many of our nation's colleges and universities, including those in the so-called Ivy League, continue to insist on using race as a factor for admissions. And the Supreme Court is deciding a case on this subject right now. But there's a unique American college that doesn't discriminate based on race. It never has, and it never will. And it's my favorite college, Hillsdale College. Hillsdale was founded in 1844 to educate, quote, all persons, irrespective of nationality, color, or sex, unquote. It continues that policy today, admitting students on the strength of their character, ability, and intentions, not their heritage or background. 
My friend Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College, recently published an article explaining Hillsdale's colorblind policies and its related refusal of government funding, even indirectly in the form of federal student aid. Read it for yourself at levinforhillsdale.com. And after you read it, you may even want to support Hillsdale with a year-end gift. So please go read Dr. Arn's article today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. more. We ended at 15. Let me repeat it. There was at least some tension between safety operations, a larger department whose staff has used a more rules-based process for addressing issues like porn scams and threats, and a smaller, more powerful cadre of senior policy execs like Roth and Gade. The latter group were a high-speed Supreme Court of moderation, issuing content rulings on the fly. That's these executives often in minutes based on guesses, gut calls, even Google searches, even in the cases involving the president, President Trump. During this time, executives were also clearly liaison with federal enforcement, federal enforcement and intelligence agencies about moderation of election-related content. The FBI, got that? While we're still at the start of reviewing the Twitter files, we're finding out more about these interactions every day. Now, I want to continue this when we return so I can continue to give this national attention. We are here, as we are, late afternoon and evening, all weekdays, so we catch this stuff, inform you about it. Do not watch the Sunday shows. They are corrupt. Do not watch the Sunday shows. They are corrupt. Except mine, of course. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Oh, hello America, Mark Levin here, our number, 877-381-3811-877. 381-3811. On Fridays, we keep our foot on the gas pedal all the way down. We're on the move. The Twitter releases tonight. Matt Taibbi, on behalf of Elon Musk, as they continue to go through massive reams of materials in Twitter. And I want to continue here where I left off. And they're talking about the censoring of political content and certain candidates, in particular Donald Trump. And that they laid the foundation for this, he writes, much before January 6th and what happened at the Capitol. And in fact, some of the quotes, one of the individuals is saying basically that this is uh, the result of four plus years of Trump. Now, this is crucially important, what these people are revealing. You've had some people on TV and radio saying, what's the big deal? These people are fools. 
The big deal is we have a multi-billionaire who believes in the country and believes in free speech. And finally, somebody who has the guts, and I mean guts, to put everything on the line. Who's now coming under attack by the President of the United States, his spokes idiot. Who's coming under attack by members of Congress, Democrats, who want to destroy him and his companies. Who's coming under attack by various federal regulatory agencies because he believes in free speech. And he didn't have to do any of this. And what's interesting is the man was not born in America. He was born in South Africa. So he's standing up to the tyranny. I wish there were more who would and can. So number 17 of the tweets so far, and there's going to be more all weekend long, Saturday and Sunday. More the reason to watch Life, Liberty, and Levin. I hope you will at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday. If you can't watch it live, you know. You can record it on DVR, and I would encourage you to record it. Hit the record button now and set it for 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m., excuse me, 7 p.m. Central. You get the drift. During this time, executives were also clearly liaising with federal enforcement and intelligence agencies about moderation of election-related content. You understand that? Federal agencies were working with Twitter, interfering with election-related content. That's a violation for the individual who was censored or removed or whatever of their constitutional rights under the First Amendment. The government can't say it wasn't us, it was Twitter, when the government's working with Twitter. While we're still at the start of reviewing the Twitter files, we're finding out more about these interactions every day. Interactions with the feds and Twitter. Policy director Nick Pickles, it's a sour pickle, the guy, is asked if they should say Twitter detects misinfo. Though ML, human review, and partnerships with outside experts... The employee asks, I know that's been a slippery process. Not sure if you want our public explanation to hang on that. Let's see here. Then we have Pickles quickly asks if they could just say partnerships. After a pause, he says, for example, not sure we describe the FBI DHS as experts. So we know at a minimum they've been working with the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security. Then there's a post about the Hunter Biden laptop situation. It shows that Roth not only met weekly, weekly, with the FBI and the DHS, but with the office of the Director of National Intelligence. One of the senior individuals. This is explosive. One of the senior individuals at Twitter met weekly with the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security, but also with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Ross' report to FBI DHS DNI is almost farcical in its self-flagellating tone. Quote, we blocked the New York Post story, then unblocked it, but said the opposite. Communications is angry. Reporters think we're idiots. In short, FML. 
F is the forward, and then my life. Some of Roth's later slacks indicate his weekly confabs with federal law enforcement involve separate meetings. Here he ghosts the FBI and DHS, respectively, to go first to an Aspen Institute thing, then take a call with Apple. The FBI sends reports about a pair of tweets, the second of which involves a former Tippecanoe County, Indiana counselor and Republican named claiming between 2 and 25 percent of ballots by mail are being rejected by errors. That's what I have so far, Mr. Producer. All right, I hit refresh. We're doing this live in national America. Here we go. Stick with me, folks. The second report concerned this tweet. The Democrats are in complete panic as their massive push for vote-by-mail is backfiring on them. Two things are unfolding. An unexpected number of registered Republicans are returning ballots. Between 2 and 25 percent of ballots by mail are being rejected for errors. The FBI flagged tweet then got, got circulated in the enforcement slack. Twitter cited PolitiFact to say the first story was proven to be false of that Republican. Then noted the second was already deemed no violation on numerous occasions. The group then decides to apply a learn how voting is safe and secure label because one commentator says it's totally normal to have a 2% error rate. Roth then gives the final go-ahead to process initiated by the FBI. Examining the entire election enforcement slack, we didn't see one reference to moderation requests from the Trump campaign, the Trump White House, or Republicans generally. We looked. They may exist. We were told they do. But they were absent here. All the requests coming from Democrats and apparently law enforcement. In one case, former Arizona governor, they mean Arkansas governor, Mike Huckabee, Joke tweets about mailing in ballots for his deceased parents and grandparents. This inspires a long slack that reads like a parody. I agree it's a joke, concedes a Twitter employee, but he's also literally admitting in a tweet a crime. The group declares Huckabee an edge case. And though one notes, we don't make exceptions for jokes or satire, they ultimately decide to leave and be because, quote, We've poked enough bears. That's it for now. So what do we take out of all this? A lot. And again, I want to thank the people who are working on this, and I want to thank Elon Musk in particular. I don't know him. I'm a special pleader. I don't want anything. I'm telling you that this man's a patriot. No matter where he comes down on candidates or anything, it's beside the point. You know, in the media, they like to say that they're for the free press and they're the free press. They don't put anything on the line. They are advocates of an ideology. And they are smear merchants. This is, these are the actual communications that were taking place in the dark behind the scenes. And if Musk hadn't bought Twitter, and by the way, at a loss... We wouldn't know any of this. People surmised and had idea, but now you have it in black and white. This is called 
evidence. Not necessarily criminal evidence, just evidence. Number one, they were hoping and wanting and looking to ban Trump for four plus years of the Trump administration. So they were laying the groundwork for that. Number two, they were working closely with federal authorities at the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security and the Director of National Intelligence. Folks, this is a public platform. It's privately owned, but it's a public platform. Number three, these Twitter employees and execs, they weren't just taking orders from the federal government. They were regularly meeting with federal officials at the FBI, the DHS, and the DNI to coordinate their censorship. To coordinate their censorship. Next point. It may exist, says Taibbi, but all the efforts that they saw to censor in addition to the federal government came from Democrats. They found nothing coming from Republicans. Nothing. Now the final point I'll make is how in the hell could this not affect the outcome of an election? And this is why the Democrats and the Biden administration are keeping an eye on Elon Musk. This is why they want to rev up People like Garland and Ray, the DHS, the FTC, the Antitrust Division, the IRS, to take down Musk and to teach people a lesson with their threats and their attacks. Once again here, ladies and gentlemen, Donald Trump is the victim. He was the victim of the Russia hoax with the FBI, the Department of Justice, the FISA court, Obama and Biden in the Oval Office, the DNC, Hillary Clinton, of course the media. Trump was the victim. Trump was the victim of the criminal investigation that was launched with no predicate whatsoever. Trump was the victim of two phony impeachments. And Trump was the victim of what Twitter was doing with the same FBI and the same DNI and the same DHS that tried to take him out in the first place. They tried to stop him in 2016 and then they did what they did in 2020. Now who's under criminal investigation by a special counsel tonight? Trump. Not Biden, not the Biden campaign, not the Biden crime family. Not any of these individuals at Twitter. Trump. The victim. Oh, but he took documents. Oh, well then we must, of course, throw him in prison for five years. But he led January 6th. Who says? The corrupt Stalinist committee that Nancy Pelosi set up. I'll be right back. Yeah, I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Tom. 
tired of overpaying woke wireless companies? How about this? Get talk, text, and blazing fast data, just 30 bucks a month. Yes, on the same network, the same towers, with the same coverage as the other guys, but for half the price. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Hallelujah. Friends, this is great news. You can start saving today without having to sacrifice on coverage. How do I know? I'm a customer. Plus, listen to all the other benefits you get. A U.S.-based customer service team to make your switch even easier. You're supporting a veteran-owned business. And here's the best part. When you go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. You'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's right. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, podcast, and you can be switched over in as little as 10 minutes. Switch to a company that shares your values. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, podcast, to save 50% off your first month. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Well, the tweeting's ongoing. We're up to number 33. So in Twitter, they were looking for ways to censor Huckabee with his joke. Could still mislead people, could still mislead people, quote-unquote, the humor-averse group declares, before moving on from Huckabee. All right, here. Uh, What am I on, 33, Mr. Producer? Where am I? Roth suggests moderation, even in this absurd case, could depend on whether or not the joke results in confusion. Really? In the docs, execs often expand criteria to subjective issues like intent. Yes, a video is authentic. But why was it shown? Orientation. Was a banned tweet shown to condemn or support or reception? Did a joke cause confusion? This reflex will become key to January 6th. In another example... Twitter employees prepare to slap a mail-in voting is safe warning label on a Trump tweet about a postal screw-up in Ohio before realizing, quote, the events took place, which meant the tweet was factually accurate. That's where we are now, but it's going to go on. Kirsten Cinema announced today in a video to the people of Arizona and the country that she's left the Democrat Party and she's now an independent. She waited until all the results were in from all the other elections. Because you see, she's always been an independent thinker, independent-minded. And the people of Arizona know her as independent. So now she's independent, a lifelong Democrat, elected twice as a Democrat, but she's now independent. Can't be a Republican, no, no, she's independent. And people are, well, what does this mean? And what are the numbers now? It means nothing. There's two other independents. The Senate, they're both Democrats. One's from Vermont and one's from Maine. And they're left-wing Democrats. Angus and Bernie the Red. Bernie the Red is a socialist. But he claims to be an independent. Angus, well, I won't comment. But nonetheless... So why did cinema do this? Ladies and gentlemen, she did it for cinema. She couldn't win a Democrat primary if her life depended on it. But she's not one of us, so she's not going to run as a Republican. God knows Mitch McConnell has asked her over and over again to become a Republican because she'd be his kind of Republican. 
sort of a Romney in address. So she'll be an independent. She thought long and hard about it. Her strategists and advisors and overpaid consultants thought about it. The three-way race, she'll win, they figure. Name ID and constant publicity about her being an independent. And yet, 95% of the time, she will vote with the Democrats. She's going to cock ass with the Democrats. She's going to serve in a Democrat seat on every committee. And she will vote repeatedly with the Democrats. Now, she'll make moves out there about moderating positions and so forth, because after all, she's dressed up now as an independent. This is a marketing ploy. A pretty intelligent one, too. It's the only way out if she hopes to win. It's a marketing ploy. So from a substantive perspective, it does nothing. Oh, look at that. Cinema's an independent. Oh, she's independent. Hey, and here's the problem. She knows that there's a lot of stupid people out there who, unlike you, are not engaged. Who say a pox on both parties. A pox on both parties. Oh, she's running as an independent. She's not identified with either party. Cinema. By the way, do you like cinnamon on your toast, Mr. Producer? I do not, personally. On your French toast, too? Why not? I guess a little bit's okay. But she's leaving the Democrat Party, but nothing changes. The committees, the majority, her vote, just the propaganda. And so that's all the time I'm going to spend on it because there's nothing, there's nothing further to talk about. She's a phony. I'll be right back. Tired of overpaying woke wireless companies? How about this? Get talk, text, and blazing fast data, just 30 bucks a month. Yes, on the same network, the same towers, with the same coverage as the other guys, but for half the price. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Hallelujah. Friends, this is great news. You can start saving today without having to sacrifice on coverage. How do I know? I'm a customer. Plus, listen to all the other benefits you get. A U.S.-based customer service team to make your switch even easier. You're supporting a veteran-owned business. And here's the best part. When you go to puretalk.com and enter promo code LEVINPODCAST, you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's right. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, podcast, and you can be switched over in as little as 10 minutes. Switch to a company that shares your values. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, podcast, to save 50% off your first month. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Mark LEVIN, radio's principal patriot. Call in now. All right, there is more. Tweeting continues. Let's see. Start with 36. Very well done on speed, quote-unquote. Trump was being visibility-filtered, quote-unquote, their phrase, as late as a week before the election being visibility filtered as late as a week before the election. So here it is, a week before the election. And Trump's posts can't be read by you. They're being visibility filtered. Here, writes Taibbi, 
senior executives didn't appear to have a particular violation, but still worked fast to make sure a fairly anodyne Trump tweet couldn't be replied to, shared, or liked. Very well done on speed, quote-unquote. The group is pleased. The Trump tweet is dealt with quickly. A seemingly innocuous follow-up involved a tweet from actor, from an actor whose ubiquitous presence in argued-over Twitter data sets is already a Twitter files in joke. Who's the actor? James Woods. He retweets Trump. He says, Twitter is suppressing this tweet by the president. Here's a screen grab. After Woods angrily quoted, tweeted about Trump's warning label, Twitter staff in a preview of what ended up happening after January 6th despaired of a reason for action but resolved to hit him hard on future violations. I assume that means hit James Woods hard. Here a label is applied to Georgia Republican Congress, Congresswoman Jody Heiss. Actually, it's a guy. Congressman Jody Heiss for saying, quote, so no to big tech censorship. Excuse me. Say no to big tech censorship, unquote. And, quote, mailed ballots are more prone to fraud than in-person balloting. It's just common sense, unquote. Twitter team went easy on Heiss, only applying soft intervention. With Roth worried about a wah-wah censorship optics backlash. Meanwhile, there are multiple instances of involving pro-Biden tweets warning Trump, quote, that Trump may try to steal the election, unquote, that got surfaced, only to be approved by senior executives. Got that? This when they decide just, quote, expresses concern that mail ballots might not make it in on time, unquote. So warning about Trump stealing the election, ladies and gentlemen, was not deep-sixed. That's all I have right now. It's amazing, isn't it, Mr. Producer? Think about this stuff. Now we're going to continue to uh, get to other issues as they keep tweeting and we, we pick it up. But this is from PJ Media, along the same lines, if you will. FBI bigwig quietly steps down just before new Congress pros begin. This happened today. Kevin Downey writing, PJ Media. Leaving big league politics is like, a lot like comedy. It's all about timing. FBI master blaster, Stephen Diatuno. It's D-apostrophe-A-N-T-U-O-N-O. The top official at the Washington, D.C. FBI office. Quietly announced via his Lincoln page that he had left the bureau the day before no warning given he claims he decided in his career to quote spend more time with his family unquote oh that's the line his decision comes coincidentally as the new republican-led house of representatives has promised to give the fbi much needed enema republicans from the house judiciary committee have named him and eight other fbi bigwigs as people who have some prompt splaining to do christopher ray Paula Bate, Deputy Director, Timothy Langan, Executive Assistant Director, Criminal Cyber Response and Services Branch, Jennifer Moore, Executive Assistant Director, Human Resources Branch, this guy, Stephen D. Atunio, Assistant Director in Charge, Washington Field Office. That's why that's important, as I'll explain in a minute. Cardinal L. Peoples, 
Deputy Assistant Director, Criminal Investigative Division. Boy, they have a lot of lot of heavy weight at the top there, don't they? Kevin Vordron, Deputy Assistant Director, Counterterrorism Division. Laura Demlo, Section Chief, Foreign Influence Task, Task Force, and Elvis Chan, Special Agent in charge of the San Francisco field office. The letter also states that FBI Director Christopher Wray has not been forthcoming in regard to congressional hearings involving the FBI. And it fires a shot across Ray's bow. To date, you have ignored these requests or if you have failed to respond sufficiently. Please be aware that if our requests remain outstanding at the beginning of the 118th Congress, the committee may be forced to resort to compulsory process to obtain the material we require. Yeah, and they would, Democrats would never hold him in contempt. And besides, who would prosecute him? Ray is, uh, Ray is a disaster. Sounds like the new House is hungry for answers involving the FBI's involvement in political skullduggery. That would be the Stasi. The FBI's involvement on January 6th. The FBI's refusal to investigate Hunter Biden's laptop. The FBI's colluding with big tech to hide stories that might hurt Joe Biden and his family. The FBI acting as the Democrats' personal pit bulls. Yeah, that's about right. Julie Kelly points out the arrest Peter Navarro at the Reagan airport that needs to be looked into among among other things and that would be this Washington D.C. chief this Stephen D'Atunio he would have called the shots on that he would have called the shots in many respects on the January 6th trespassers and paraders you might remember he was in uh, Michigan uh, where they set up a number of these guys uh, with respect to this kidnap of the governor, he was in charge of that bureau at the time. And now, of course, he's retiring to be with his family. Mm-hmm. Retiring to be with his family? Should have done that years ago. Looks like it's official, writes Julie Kelly, although FBI headquarters is very quiet about it. This guy led the Detroit FBI office during the Whitmer fednapping, promoted the D.C. FBI office before January 6th, led criminal investigation into Capitol protests, failed to probe the pipe bomber, also sent agents to Mar-a-Lago, and on and on and on. This guy is horrendous. Whatever did happen to the pipe, the would-be pipe bomber? This is what people don't understand. Whatever happened to that guy, whose name I always forget, Mr. Producer, who was telling people to charge into the Capitol building? Remember him? Whatever happened to this Ray Epps? I think we all know, don't we? Hey, Ray Epps, you're welcome to come on the program and explain your innocence. How do, A guy just got three years for entering into the Capitol building, opening the doors, not breaking anything, waving people in. Waving people in. They said he was the first one, and he pushed the cop out of the way. There's Ray Epps all over the grounds. Come on, let's charge. Come on, let's go into the building. Come on, let's get it. He's not charged with anything. That's why people think he's an FBI guy or an informant. And they will not, the FBI and the Biden administration, they will not let us get to the bottom of any of this. And, of course, the January 6th committee is not interested. They want to hang... Trump and on Pennsylvania Avenue and of course the special counsel who uh, 
prosecutes war criminals. He could care less, too. We know what's going on. We know what's up. None of it's good. And this is one of the reasons you, millions of you, are frustrated with the Kamikaze Five in the House of Representatives. We're delaying the Republicans from organizing to look into all these things. Well, we don't trust Kevin McCarthy. Well, Kevin McCarthy's not conservative enough. Well, it's Kevin McCarthy. And they have nobody else. Nobody. Nobody. So, what? what I, I don't understand what they're doing. They can't say, here's our great guy, run against him. It's Biggs. Biggs is a fraud and a phony and a uh, reprobate. He doesn't even support Convention of States. In fact, he blocked it one man. Even if you don't support it, allow a vote, he wouldn't do it. So what do they have? A guy named Good from Virginia. Anybody ever hear of him? No. I think he won by uh, 12 votes. Some guy named Norman. Nobody knows who Norman is. Norm! Norm! Etc. Maybe they'll be joined by 10 others. Wow. Then they'll have 15. If you're going to organize opposition to a Kevin McCarthy or, or whomever, shouldn't you actually get your act together months before, Mr. Producer? Shouldn't you know exactly what the hell you're doing? Now we're going to play it out. Play out the system. Oh, great. You get a five or six vote majority. The Democrats may yank five or six or seven of the Republican frauds and phonies. And then you get a liberal Republican as the speaker. This is why more and more conservatives have had enough of this. We want to get our country back. And these guys may only have two years. They've got to get their act together. You know, they haven't appointed chairman yet. They haven't appointed staff yet. They haven't allocated resources for staff yet. Why? They don't have a speaker yet who they can rely on and choose. Anyway, this FBI guy, he's with his family now, ladies and gentlemen. I hope he rots in hell. I can only imagine, Mr. Producer, how many of my words, how many of my tweets, as you know, I'd resigned from Twitter and so forth, but there we are, are being collected by the federal government. Can you imagine? I got to be up there, public enemy something or other, because I speak freely. I speak my mind. I don't promote violence. I don't promote insurrections. I don't promote coups. I don't. They do. The Stasi does and the Democrats do. But I guarantee you they'd love to shut me up in two seconds. I guarantee it. Them, the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, you know. And our Stasi. I'll be right back. Lovin. Tired of overpaying woke wireless companies? How about this? Get talk, text, and blazing fast data, just 30 bucks a month. Yes, on the same network, the same towers, with the same coverage as the other guys, but for half the price. 
Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Hallelujah. Friends, this is great news. You can start saving today without having to sacrifice on coverage. How do I know? I'm a customer. Plus, listen to all the other benefits you get. A U.S.-based customer service team to make your switch even easier. You're supporting a veteran-owned business. And here's the best part. When you go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. You'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's right. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, podcast, and you can be switched over in as little as 10 minutes. Switch to a company that shares your values. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, podcast, to save 50% off your first month. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. We've got more America on the tweet front. Number 40. Twitter teams went easy on heist. Only applying soft intervention with Roth worrying about a Wawa censorship option backlash. Meanwhile, there are multiple instances involving pro-Biden tweets warning Trump may try to steal the election that got surfaced, only to be approved by senior executives. Approved. Quote, that's understandable, unquote. Even the hashtag steal our votes referencing a theory that a combo of Amy Comey Barrett and Trump would steal the election is approved by Twitter Twitter brass because it's, quote, understandable and a reference to a U.S. Supreme Court decision. In this exchange, again, unintentionally humorous, former Attorney General Eric Holder claimed that U.S. Postal Service was, quote, deliberately crippling and ostensibly by the Trump administration. He was initially hit with a generic warning label, but it was quickly taken off by Roth. He talked about this, remember? And nobody else talks about this. Prior to the election, the Democrats kept talking about the Postal Service stealing the election for Trump. Later in November 2020, Roth asked if staff had a, quote, debunk moment, unquote, on the Smartmantic voting counting stories, which his DHS contacts told him were a combination of about 47 conspiracy theories. On December 10th, as Trump was in the middle of firing off 25 tweets saying things like a coup is taking place in front of our eyes. Twitter executives announced a new L3 deamplification tool. This step meant a warning label now could also come with deamplification. Some executives wanted to use the new deamplification tool to silently limit Trump's reach more right away, beginning with a, a tweet that they quote here. That's where we are. So there's a war on Trump. And the door is wide open for the Democrats. That pretty much what you get out of it, Mr. Producer? A war on Trump, and anything the Democrats say about the election and Trump stealing and all the rest of it is okay. Unbelievable. Don't forget, this Sunday, Life, Liberty, and Levin, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. I don't think I've ever disappointed you. 7 p.m. Central. We have a completely different format, a long-form format. We have Miranda Devine and Peter Schweitzer. These are the top aces when it comes to all this Michigas. That is, all this crap. And we want to take it on substantively. And I think you're going to find it very, very compelling and very important. You can DVR us, set your DVR now if you need to. I'll be right back. Do 
Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit FastGrowingTrees.com for details. Inflation is everyone thinking about different ways to cut back, whether it's driving less or dining out less or buying less from the grocery store. We can all agree there's nothing fun about less. That's why I use Upside. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out. In other words, all of us. With Upside, I don't have to cut back because I get cash back on every purchase. To get started, download the Upside app, use my promo code Rewind, and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Next, claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside. Check in at the business, pay as usual with your credit card, and then you get paid. Upside users earn more than a million dollars every week. That's why they have a 4.8 star rating on the App Store. Download the free, I said free, Upside app and use promo code Rewind to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's promo code Rewind, Upside app. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Welcome back, America. There's a lot of tweeting going on over at Elon Musk with Matt Tiabi. Uh, I want to thank Elon Musk, Matt Tiavi, who's no fan of mine, apparently, Barry Weiss, and all the others who are working so hard to get this done. I mean, you truly are doing something that is incredibly historic and crucially important to this country. It's called free speech. You're exposing what took place. And it's getting worse. It's getting worse. And let me pull it down here. One on one minute. The significance of all these new titles and categories and all the rest of it, the significance is that it shows that Twitter in 2020 at least, this is Taibi, was deploying a vast range of visible and invisible tools to rein in Trump's engagement long before January 6th. The ban, the outright ban, will come after other avenues are exhausted. In Twitter documents, executives frequently refer to bots. That is, let's put a bot on that. A bot is just any automated 
moderation rule. It can be anything. Every time a person in Brazil uses green and blob in the same sentence, action might be taken. This instance, it appears moderators added a bot for a Trump claim made on Breitbart. In other words, just, just make it up. Oh, that must be a bot. The bot ends up becoming an automated tool invisibly watching both Trump and apparently Breitbart. Quote, we'll add media ID to bot. So now they're monitoring a media site. Breitbart. Trump, by January 6th, was quickly covered in bots. There's no way to follow the frenzied exchanges among Twitter personnel from between January 6th and January 8th without knowing the basics of the company's vast lexicon of acronyms and Orwellian unwords. To bounce an account is to put it in timeout, usually for a 12-hour review or cooling-off period. And uh, they did that with Breitbart News, gave a heads-up to folks, give it another few minutes, then proceed with bouncing, Yol Roth says, bouncing a Breitbart. Interstitial. One of many nouns used as a verb in Twitter speak, denialist is another, means placing a physical label atop a tweet so it can't be seen. P2 has multiple meanings, one being public interest interstitial, that is a covering label applied for public interest reasons. Does this not sound like 1984 to you, Mr. Medici? The post below also references proactive V, that is, proactive visibility filtering, proactive, you know, in advance. This, all necessary ba- this is all necessary background of January 6th. Talibi writes, before the riots, the company was engaged in an inherently insane, impossible project, trying to create an ever-expanding, ostensibly rational set of rules to regulate every conceivable speech situation that might arise between humans. This project was preposterous, yet its leaders were unable to see this, having become infected with groupthink, coming to believe sincerely that it was Twitter's responsibility to control, as much as possible, what people could talk about, how often and with whom. When panic first breaks out on January 6th, there's a fair share of WTF-type posts, mixed in with frantic calls for Twitter to start deploying its full arsenal of moderation tools, Quote, what is the right remediation? Do we interstitial the video? Asks one employee in despair. And that's where we end now until there's more. The takeaway is this is worse than you possibly could have imagined. The whole nomenclature they created for Trump. How they would censor Trump almost no matter what he would tweet. How they would not censor Biden the Biden campaign, Holder, and those people, people of that ilk, no matter what they would tweet. They dragged in Breitbart. And God knows if they dragged in anybody else at this point. So we are learning a huge amount thanks to this team. And in this vein... I want to ask MSNBC, and actually more directly, I want to ask the board of directors of Comcast. What the hell do you think you're doing to our country? Who the hell do you think you are? You have people on MSNBC who are trying to persuade 
the Department of Justice to indict Donald Trump. Who the hell do you people think you are on Comcast? That have some lowlife like Nicole Wallace. A miscreant. A character assassin. On your platform. Then they charge us, you and me, to subscribe to Comcast in order to see what we want to see. And she was a few hours back showing how public opinion had softened on indicting and convicting Donald Trump. Using Brennan and other propagandists. Absolutely blatant, trying to influence the prosecutors and the FBI in their favorite administration, the Biden administration. This is really shocking. Shocking. And she's not alone. Nicole Wallace... Joe Scarborough, Mika Brzezinski, the other slime balls on that network. Day in and day out. I want you to put this in your mind's eye now. They want and are hoping and intend to celebrate if they can. The indictment, the arrest, the trial. They hope the sentencing and imprisonment. This is their dream of former President Trump. I hate to think of the consequences of something like that for our society now and forever. On bogus and preposterous and Mickey Mouse allegations. The complete setup on January 6th. And despite what Bill Barr has to say, the whole document thing is ridiculous. Particularly as it applies to a former president who's transitioning from president to ex-president. And so bad is it now, the Department of Justice, I read, is attempting to get Trump's lawyers held in contempt in front of the judge in Florida... Because they didn't provide them with all the documents. Well, it's those lawyers who decided to do one more thorough look and hired people, I guess with some kind of forensic background, to search all the locations. I mean, these are large locations. And they found a few more documents and they turned them over to the Department of Justice. And in response, the Department of Justice goes to the judge and says, Hold these lawyers in contempt! Look, they were covering up. They were withholding information, and they should have provided to us when we demanded it. Does that sound like a department that's rational? Does it? Does it sound like a justice department or an injustice department? And I just want President Trump's lawyers to be very clear. I want to be very clear about this. Just in anticipation... You need to make a thorough examination and research about changing the venue should something happen. Because there's no way in hell anybody associated with Trump or Trump can have a jury of his peers. There's no way. That's why 
the assistant prosecutor for Bragg in Manhattan. Over and over again, when they were going after Trump's organization, kept bringing up Donald Trump had to know, Donald Trump in his closing argument. Of course, the judge should have stopped him. But the judge is another liberal Democrat hack. Because he wanted to make clear to the Democrat jury, if you want to punish Trump, vote guilty. Even though his CFO said that Trump and his kids were unaware of this. They kept bringing up his name, bringing up his name, and there's a man, Trump, who's attacked in court without any defense, without any voice, and the judge is supposed to deal with that, but he didn't. And so the jury said, yeah, yeah, Trump, Trump. And that's what they'll do in D.C., Trump, Trump. By the way, I have a question. A friend of mine raised this. Now that the first primary state if Biden has his way and the Democrats have his way, it won't be New Hampshire. It won't be Iowa. Too white, they said. Unlike the Biden family. Too white. Needs to be San Francisco. Excuse me. Needs to be South Carolina. Now, it's not about white or black. South Carolina saved Biden. Biden came in fourth or fifth in Vermont and fourth, excuse me, fourth or fifth in New Hampshire and fourth or fifth in Iowa. So he's trying to uh, <coughs> create a no-lose situation. That's what the Bidens do. They're crooks. But I think we should do something similar, don't you, Mr. Producer, on the Republican side? Now, Hamsha with that idiot Chris Sununu and Iowa, maybe they shouldn't be the first two states. If they're going to pick South Carolina, why don't we pick Alabama? Mr. Producer. Why don't we pick Alabama? What do you say, America? I think that's fair. That works. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, there's more tweeting taking place from Matt Taibbi, the journalist who's working with Elon Musk. This freedom or debt tweet from Stop the Steel Gadfly, Mike Caudre, elicits heated reactions. What did Caudre post? He said, today is one of the most important days in our nation's history. We cannot allow a global hegemony to take over this country through fraudulent means. What happens today determines the next 100 years of our country freedom or death Roth of Twitter groans about Caudre this a-hole but still seems determined to stick at least superficially to rules itching to act if this constitutes incitement 
At 12.39 p.m. Pacific Time, a communications official asked Roth to confirm or deny a story that they had restricted Trump's ability to tweet. Roth says, we have not. Minutes later, Roth executed the historic act of bouncing Trump, that is, putting him in timeout. He said, I hope you are appropriately corporate secretary, says a colleague. This theme of policy perhaps being stressed by queries from communications executives who themselves have to answer the public's questions occasionally appears. Two days later, you see chatter about pulling comms, the communications group, out of the loop. The first company-wide email from Gade, remember her, the lawyer, on January 6th announced that Three Trump tweets had been bounced, but more importantly signaled a determination to use legit violations, so-called, as a guide for any possible permanent suspension. What the actual F? Quote-unquote. Safe to say Trump's go-home-with-love-and-in-peace tweet mid-riot didn't go over well at Twitter headquarters. And that's where we are right now. So they were always poised to take out Trump and his people, much like the FBI and the Department of Justice, quite frankly. Much like the Democrats in the House, who have never stopped harassing, obsessing, and trying to destroy Donald Trump to abuse their power. And that's the irony of this whole thing. It's a sickening irony. The abuses of free speech, the abuses of the Constitution... The abuses of power, they all go one way. It's the Democrats, the House Democrats, the never-Trumpers, Twitter. That's what was taking place. There's no question about it. Now, I'm convinced that Joe Scarborough has mental issues, ladies and gentlemen. I don't say this to be rude. I'm convinced that Joe Scarborough, Matt Drudge, the prebubescent uh, teenage staffers over there at Media, I, I think they have mental issues. Now, what am I talking about? There's not a day that goes by people send me the stuff that these guys are posting. In the case of Scarborough saying, but these aggregator sites, Media with its clips, Drudge with his whatever, and Scarborough, it's Trump nonstop. Absolutely nonstop. The morning schmo on Trump's comments on Griner, hypocrisy is just insane. And not only that, he's a moron. He's a dummy. Over media, it's never ending. <coughs> Excuse me, that's cholera. Might be whooping cough, I'm not sure. And then, of course, Drudge with his little... <laughs> this is a guy who works out of his basement. No doubt with his uh, tank top and his uh, boxer shorts. I'd say three, four-day growth, but I don't even know if that's possible. Eating Cheetos and drinking grape juice. Let me sing this guy. Let me delete that guy. Let me do this. What's Trump doing? Trump, 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 Trump. Trump's having a bad day. Biden's having a great day. Always the deep thinker. Over there in Mediate. 
You know Dan Abrams owns that site, right? He founded that site. He pretends to be a news guy on ABC and then on cable. He's kind of the Jerry Springer of the law. What's that called? Courthouse? Court cam. Court cam. All these Jerry Springer type things going on in court. And he sits, he stands there in his shirt. It's all buffed up, you know. And his, uh, I have to admit this. I got to give him credit for one thing. He has the best hairpiece I've ever seen, Mr. Bidus. It's true. I don't know what it's made out of. I don't know who made it for him. I don't know how he attaches it to his head. But this guy, Dan Abrams, has the best hairpiece that I've ever seen. Now, I know it's a hairpiece. So I guess that's kind of a downer. But it really is the best hairpiece I've ever seen. But this court cam thing, it's the Jerry Springer of... uh, So the guy has, like, multiple personalities. I'm setting up this meteorite, which is trash. Then he's a news guy. Then he's a legal analyst on uh, One Nation. And then he's the court cam guy. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, the research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Well, we have the final tweets of the evening. There will be more tomorrow and the next day where you can grab them. And we will discuss them, of course, on Monday. We're discussing all of it on Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox. So he continues, Taibbi does. The first company-wide email from Gaddy, remember that's the hack lawyer, Vijaya Hatty, Gaddy, on January 6th announced that three Trump tweets had been bounced, but more importantly signaled a determination to use legit violations as a guide for any possible permanent suspension. What the actual F, quote-unquote, safe to say Trump's go-home-with-love-and-in-peace tweet mid-riot didn't go over well at Twitter headquarters few last notes about January 6th. Yoel Roth, that's the other executive, at one point looked and found Trump had a slew of duplicate bot applications. By the end of the first day, the top execs are still trying to apply rules. By the next day, they will contemplate a major change in approach. Watch this weekend for the play-by-play of how that all went down. In other words, they had to come up with rationales, rules that they didn't have in place. By January 8th, which will describe Sunday, Twitter was being Twitter will be receiving plaudits from our partners in Washington, and the sitting U.S. president will no longer be heard on the platform. Wow, do you know what that means? You know who their partners are, Mr. Producer? The FBI, the DHS, the Director of National Intelligence Office. Let me read that again. By January 8th, which will describe Sunday, Twitter will be receiving plaudits from, quote-unquote, our partners in Washington. Our partners in Washington, and the sitting U.S. president will no longer be heard on the platform. So what he's saying there is, we're going to give you the details, the evidence, of how these government agencies wanted Trump banned. He was banned. 
and how they were celebrated by the FBI, the DHS, and in the intel agencies. Lastly, Tybee writes, people on the left, right, and in between want to know what else is in the Twitter files, from suppression, shadow banning of leftists to lab leak theorists, or amplification of military propaganda or conservative accounts, we know everyone has questions. And while we've stumbled on tidbits here and there about topics ranging from COVID to foreign policy, the reality is, and this is important to understand, the data sets are enormous, and we are still working through them. More is coming. Good night to all. Again, I want to salute Elon Musk. Without him, none of this would be possible. He's a patriot. He has courage. He didn't have to do any of this. I want to salute Matt Taibbi. Even though he's no fan of mine, but I don't care. And I want to salute Barry Weiss, who I don't know. And all the others who are involved, behind the scenes and elsewhere, working day and night to get this done. There's no question that the amount of data must be overwhelming. And a lot of it must be irrelevant. So you have to get through all the static to get to this point. But this is, uh, this is killer stuff. This is a big deal. And it lays it all out. And, uh, and I want to thank these people. Now, uh, Representative Ro Kahana of Silicon Valley, Democrat, he's asked about all this today on CNBC, as you know in the first posts. He comes out quite well. And we gave him credit. He's warning the company and company officials, you're censoring people. You, you're violating potentially the First Amendment. You know, Democrats used to believe in that sort of thing. Not anymore. You listen to Nicole Wallace. Sleazeball. But listen to this. Cut six, go. Well, Andrew, I uh, believe that Twitter is the modern public square. And it's one thing to say they shouldn't have released sensational pictures about Hunter Biden, which I agree with. But to censor the New York Post, to prevent sharing of articles, uh, that's just uh, wrong. And uh, I stand by what I wrote. uh, And I hope that they will not do that uh, in the future, even though they are not obligated to live up to the First Amendment. uh, They shouldn't be censoring journalists or things that they disagree with. 100% right. Now, that said, Uh, What's interesting here, and he didn't know it at the time, but we know it now tonight, is that Twitter was working with the government, the FBI, DHS, and the Director of National Intelligence. They were meeting on a regular basis. They were taking directives from from federal law enforcement. And that is a violation of the First Amendment when the consequence is to silence people. Silence people who are not promoting violence. Silence people who are not promoting uh, things of that sort. Pornography. And the people they were silencing were promoting ideals that they disagreed with. And they were doing it in some cases, we, it appears, at the behest of federal law enforcement. Now, Christopher Ray should be putting out a statement tonight or should be having a press event tonight rather than taking a private FBI jet off to a vacation somewhere, I suppose, and addressing what he and his agency did because he's got some answering to do. He's got some answering to do. 
the Attorney General of the United States has some answering to do. This Mayorkas, the head of the DHS, he has some answering to do. The Director of National Intelligence, I don't care who appointed her, she, he, has some answering to do. And so what has to get done if the five kamikaze bonehens will get the hell out of the way is the Republicans in the House should now use this material in addition to everything else they're going to do, which is rather significant, and there's a lot of it, to demand records from those agencies and others about all of their communications with the big tech oligarchs and their companies. And expose them. By the way, on a footnote on this, given all the leaks the Washington Post has received about Donald Trump and they're investigating Trump and the documents, much of it lies by the FBI and the Department of Justice. The Judiciary Committee, once it is formed and staffed and has the resources and Jim Jordan is head of it, needs to demand all documents demonstrating all communications with the media. And by that, I also mean telephonic records. And they can take a lesson from the January 6th committee. They don't need to go through the Department of Justice. Just demand those records from the phone companies. They should demand texts, phone records. They should demand computer records. Because if we can't oversee the Stasi, the FBI and its parent agents, the Department of Justice, through our representatives, then these rogue agencies are going to run away even further. We've got to put our foot down, which is why I'm anxious to see these guys get going. Rather than fight over this rule or that rule, it's just a different time. It's a different time. The nation's liberty, the survival of this republic is at stake. It's at stake. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. This show went mighty fast. At least it did for me. Let's take a few calls before we, we break off for the weekend. Let us go to... Nashville, Tennessee, where so much of the Levin family lives. Uh, XM Satellite, James, how are you? Mark, I'm doing great, and I just want to say thank you for everything you do with hosting your show and just always putting the truth out there. It's much appreciated. Thank it's you, always sir. on the prime times, and I'm dealing with this Nashville traffic here because our infrastructure can't support the amount of people we get moving here, but oh, yeah. our whole state, they're still voting red. The city, that'll never change. Right. Um, well, that's why the Democrats want to change the voting rules so the metropolitan areas uh, can't lose. That's why they want to put all the drop boxes there. That's why they they know that's where the population is most dense, so they can do curing, as they call it, or harvesting, as they call it, things we've never done in this country before, never heard of before. And they don't want in-person voting. We shouldn't and so have... they, can, they can easily manipulate the vote, enshrine the fraudulent procedures, and say, we don't commit fraud, we follow the rules. 
All right, my friend. God bless and good yantif. How much time do I have? 40 seconds is not enough. All you folks online, we have a full board. Monday's another day. I'll take this weekend, folks. Get some rest. Positive mental attitude. Enjoy your family. Think about the holidays. Okay, and all that said, don't forget to watch my show. Life, Liberty, and Levin. And I want to salute all you heroes out there. And I want to say goodnight to my family, to my doggies, my dad, my mom, Joe, and me. Here's our music. Go. Folks, I screwed up. First time in 20 years I've done that. I've never screwed up before, Mr. Producer. Don't forget, Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 
5 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Central. Don't miss it. Very important, Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox. Miranda Devine, Peter Schweitzer, and of course my opening statement. The week is officially over. The week begins now. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, our truckers, and all you great patriots out there, thank you. Good night, Spritey and Griffey. Good night, Pepsi and Zelda. Good night, Smokey and Gigi. Good night, Indy and Patton and Rory. Good night, Barney. And good night, Marty. We miss you all so deeply. And good night, Dad. And good night, Mom. And good night, Leo. And good night, Joe. And God knows we miss you. Folks, have a great weekend and take care of yourself.